Welcome to episode 10 with Doug Stewart. Hey, what's up? My name is Chuck Belden and I found myself at 45 years old in a rough spot and totally lost on how to get out of it. I felt my life was on autopilot without any goals or direction and I'd lost my sense of growth and progress. Uh, All at the same time, I lost a business, my best friend of almost 40 years died suddenly, I was in a really bad car wreck totaling my car and injuring my back, and my 13-year-old dog died to top it all off. Now, some might call it a midlife crisis, but looking at it now, I like to call it a midlife wake-up. I woke up to my mortality and I realized I've got a lot I still want to do while I'm here. I don't have all the answers, so I'm now on a mission to find great people to learn from. I want to know what they are doing to develop themselves personally and professionally, their views on relationship building and how to be of greater service to others, what they think of modern masculinity, their philosophies on life and parenting, health, fitness, longevity, legacy, and whatever else we get into. First, I believe we must wake up from our autopilot, and if you're now awake and wanting more, my wish is that this podcast gives you not just inspiration and motivation, but tangible steps on what to do next. The bottom line, I'm interested to learn what people do to build it better. All of it. If you've listened to any of my first nine episodes, you've likely heard me reference a friend's birthday party I was invited to last summer. This wasn't your typical birthday party. At least it wasn't my typical birthday party. This was a very close friend of mine named Christian, our featured guest on episode two, who I considered a great friend, mentor, brother, and somebody I really admire. He didn't want a typical birthday, so he invited about 25 guys he considers inspiring and thought leaders to a conversation because he thought it might springboard into some other new relationships or ventures. And he was right. I met Freddie there, our episode eight guest, and I met Doug there, today's guest. Now, before I introduce you to Doug, I want to tell you that I struggled a bit with trying to find the right quote to open this episode and to introduce you to Doug. There are a number of important subjects we discussed in this conversation, so I could have chosen about a dozen or so that would relate, and they would have all been fitting. After a few changes, I decided to go with a quote that focused on hard work, because as you listen to this episode, you'll understand why. Hard work is a consistent theme in our entire conversation. Working hard is inspirational, it's admirable, and it's woven throughout Doug's life. It's what he was surrounded by as a young boy in the family business, and it's what he continues to personify as a grown man. It would make perfect sense for a quote on working hard to be the opening thought here. But it's not. The world lost Kobe Bryant and eight other people, including three kids this week, in a crazy, stupid, super tragic helicopter accident. I've had a really hard time processing the whole thing, to be honest. Like, really hard. It's consumed much of my thoughts all day and all night. It's really shaken me. But, I was wor- but as I was working on this episode, I kept coming back to Kobe. His life, his career, his work ethic, his family. I felt it would be a nice way to honor the life of Kobe by trying, or rather tying, a quote of his to Doug. When you think of hard work, Kobe Bryant is one of the people you think of. So as I looked into the perfect quote, and the more I thought about my guest today and his life and the impact he's had on others, I started to change gears a bit. Hard work is one of the most important keys to success, no doubt. 
But if I go deeper into what makes Doug tick and choose the career path that he chose, I, I think of this particular quote from Kobe. The most important thing is to try and inspire people so that they can be great in whatever they want to do. So that's what I'm going with. Doug literally grew up in business. From a very young age, he either spent his days working in the family furniture business or he was shooting jumpers to avoid working in the family furniture business. Half the people in his life told him he wouldn't amount to much because he had trouble in school, and the other half told him that the sky was the limit because he could play hoops. That's a tough spot to be in as a kid. Who's right? Who's wrong? I guess the answer is, who do you believe is right? Well, Doug chose to believe the half that told him basketball was the answer, so he put most of his efforts there. Basketball got him to college, but once there he struggled. It wasn't until he met an advisor, somebody that gave him a, or gave him a, got him to take a real good look at himself and what he was capable of, and things got better for him. And since then, he's dedicated his life to giving others the same gift as a certified Dale Carnegie instructor. He's been a business owner, a podcast host, a TEDx speaker, he's a loving father and husband, a compassionate friend, and the kind of guy you want to get to know and hang out with because he just makes you feel like you can realize your best self. And like Kobe said, he inspires you to be great in whatever you want to do. Doug is about to deliver the goods, and I'm super excited you're here with us. So let's get after this one. Doug. What's up? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for, no, actually, welcome me to your office. Yeah, welcome to the office. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> this is a cool spot. I appreciate yeah. you uh, letting us do this here. And, and for all our listeners and viewers, um, yeah. I'm excited to chat with you. For sure. Um, we only just connected like recently. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe this is our second conversation. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm excited to see where it goes. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted, to have you, I wanted to have you on my podcast because the podcast vision currently is that it's I'm uh, I'm inspired by people that are progressing, are doing life in a different way, aren't content with where they're at. They're interested in personal development, professional development. It's called build it better. Mm -hmm. To me, it's pretty big concept, but I get inspired by people that are doing things, and you're one of those guys. Thank you. Just from the little bit that I know about you, and I just wanted to know more, and I wanted to talk, and I think that you could provide a lot of value to the listeners that we have, the viewers that we have, and um, I just wanted to chat if that's cool. 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 All right, so super conversational, but um, that's the vision of the podcast. That's kind of why I wanted to have you on here, because I think that you've got some value to to give. But um, if you would, would you tell everybody a little bit about your background, who you are, where you're from, and you know, maybe let's start there. The easiest way to start is I am from here. You're from here. <laughs> from here. So I, I grew up um, just just south of Raleigh um, in a small little town called Sanford. My grandparents lived in Raleigh. My parents lived in Sanford. So I'm sort of between the two places. Um, and I grew up in a pretty untraditional way. Um, my grandfather was a, an entrepreneur. He had a series of furniture stores across the triangle. My parents owned a furniture store. My aunt and uncle owned a furniture store. My grandpa owned a furniture store. Oh, wow. So I grew up quite literally in the furniture store. So I was either going to, coming from, or talking about what happened at the store today. Got it. Um, so my first chores were you know, putting together bookcases and dusting furniture. Um, and my first job was 12 years old on the sales floor. Huh. Um, and so I grew up in business. 
Um, so when I wasn't doing that, I was playing basketball, and those were really the only two things I, I did as a, as a kid. Um, and so um, it, was, it was fun at times, and I also hated it, uh, because I was effectively free labor, you know what I mean, until yeah. I left for college. Um, and that was the first time I got a chance to like actually work for money um, and realized how much um, value there really was in growing up in business. Um, because many nights we ate dinner at the furniture store. Yeah. Um, breakfast was at the furniture store. Um, and if it wasn't, it was just super late after we got home. We worked 12 hour days, six days a week. Uh, and so it, it instilled a work ethic in me that you know, my, my grandfather used to say, if, if God only took one day off when he created the entire world in a week, then we're not gonna take two days off, we're gonna take one day. And so we would take Sunday, but that was it. We'd work our faces off. Mm. Um, and the answer to every problem as a child was always work. If you were cold, it was that you weren't working hard enough. Working people don't get cold. If you were, you know, if you were having a hard time going to sleep, it was because you didn't work hard enough that day, yeah. right? And so it was a really interesting and fun and cool and traumatic <laughs> time. Yeah, how did you feel about it in the moment? Like, did you think it was, it was cool? <laughs> uh, sometimes, well, one of the things that, that drove my athletic ability is at the loading dock, we had a basketball goal. And the deal was between me and my dad was as long as I was shooting, I didn't have to work. And so it caused me to go, I shot a thousand shots a day wow. as a kid and developed myself into a pretty good basketball player because I didn't want to put together bookcases yeah. and I didn't want to dust furniture. That's right? a good parenting lesson. Right yeah. There. So as long as my butt stayed yeah. outside, I could, and I was playing basketball, then it was cool. I didn't have to work. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I can remember a time when I was about 13 where my dad gave me a basketball and said, if that doesn't get you to college, you might not go. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to be in the furniture business or not, but I knew that I wanted to have a choice. Mm -hmm. And so um, academics was never my thing. Um, dyslexic, all these other learning disabilities. Um, and so I knew that if I was gonna have a chance to do anything other than being in the building that I grew up in, basketball was gonna be what got me the opportunity. Yeah. Um, and so it caused me to really focus in and hone that. Um, and I wasn't the kid that loved it. I just happened to be good at it. I, was, I, had, a, I had a body to be an athlete, um, and I had the work ethic to outwork people, practice more, and it was really sort of my therapy as a, as a child was yeah. just to be out there shooting. So yeah. those were the only two things I knew as a kid. Okay, yeah. did, you, did you go on to play? I did, I played um, college at Liberty. Okay. Um, and I played, long, I played long enough to um, find the person I wanted to marry, and get my butt back home. Oh, all and right. so, tell me more about that. So I played, I, I um, didn't play my final year of eligibility because my grandfather called me and offered me an opportunity to purchase the flagship furniture store in Raleigh. But his catch was that I had to graduate college early and I was not on track, to, like God. I was not on track. And so I had to do like full loads through the summer, extra stuff during the, during the, the next two semesters to make that so. Um, and then just before I left, I sold, I was a big co shoe collector in college, and so I sold my entire Jordan collection and bought an engagement ring, um, and gave it to my wife, because one thing that you don't do is you don't leave your girlfriend at college alone without a ring if you want to keep her. Smart. <laughs> right? So there Smart. was no way. Take notes. Right, yeah, for sure. There was no way. Yeah. I was, so I gave her a ring, 
I moved home with a plan for us, her, us to get married and then her to move to Raleigh with me. And I went home and took over the business. All on the Jordans. All on the Jordans. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. All right. So um, I know you're, you're a dad. And so yep. how do, do any of these lessons you learned growing up uh, in the furniture store there and shooting hoops and the work ethic you got, how does that translate into what you, how you parent now? Um, it's interesting because my kids have such a different life than I had. Uh, you know, like my business, although it's entrepreneurial, it's not inclusive of the kids. You know, like my business is much more mental, emotional, it's less physical. Yeah. You know, I grew up delivering furniture and selling furniture and seeing my parents interact with customers. My kids don't get to see me yeah. interact with customers the so, same way that I did with my... Well, let's go into your business then. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what you do now for a living. So my goal, I ran the furniture business for four years um, and then left the business um, primarily because I hated it. Um, I realized that I went into it because I thought I would make a bunch of money. Um, and then I realized that it wasn't fun. Um, and when you're doing something that you're good at in a context that you don't necessarily enjoy, because there's a difference between being good at something and enjoying something, right? Yeah. And so I was good at it, but I didn't enjoy it. And so it was killing me, man. Yeah. Like my relationships were suffering. My like, it was like, I wasn't sleeping well. My body was hurting. Like I was heavier than I needed to be. I wasn't working out anymore. I was just, I felt like I was like deteriorating as a human. Yeah. Um, so I decided to get out of the business and um, went to work for a, a mattress company, Tempur-Pedic, entry-level position just to get out of the business. And that was that was pretty traumatic for my family mm. because when you have a family that's, our family is the furniture business. Right. And so when you say I'm leaving, the sense that people, it's easy for them to get because of how intertwined our identity is with the business is like, well, if you leave the business, you leave the family. That's right. And there's no, there's no, you know, it's the same thing. Um, and so that was that was really tough and that caused a lot of hard feelings and stuff like that And we we left the business that same month my daughter was born and my wife quit her job to be a stay-at-home mom okay. So we lost like 70% of our income in a 30-day period um, And I just decided that my goal in life and my career was to do something that had really three elements that was fulfilling that was impactful and Something that I could do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it so I didn't want to have a boss telling me what to do. Um, I wanted to be able to make an impact that I felt like my potential could make with and on people and help other people's lives get better as mine did and to have a similar trajectory. Um, and, and then, you know, do it in a way that I enjoyed. I like doing it. Did you get to that point all on your own or did you, how did you, how did you get there? I feel like a lot of people maybe inside have similar thoughts, yeah. but taking the action. To, get, um, to actually to make those decisions? So it's easy for me to say, my stock answer is I did it by accident. Wow. Um, but the, the truth is, is I was just willing to eat dirt for a really long time. Um, having the entry level position, I just went head down into, I worked long hours, long hours, long hours, and focused on development. And so my goal was to get to a place where people had to either um, recruit me or promote me, wow. um, or I just had to go do something else. And so for six years, yeah, six years, I never had a, a job or a position more than 18 months. 
Um, I either got promoted in the company, moved to another organization for a better role, um, or just quit and went and did something else. Yeah. During that same six-year period, um, by happenstance, I ended up taking uh, the Dale Carnegie program. Um, one of my customers invited me to attend with them, okay. um, and I just it, just on a whim, I, I got an opportunity to go. I had this life-changing, like transformative experience as a result of attending that program, and then. For the next, you know, that six-year period, um, I just connected with the people at Dale Carnegie and apprenticed. Like I worked for free and did anything they asked me to do. Like I was, I would like go get coffee, help the instructor, like show up early and set up rooms just for the opportunity to be around that group of people. Um, and the person who ran the Raleigh Market ended up being turning into like a dad to me and a, and a real mentor. Um, and after six years of essentially working for free, I got an opportunity to become an instructor and start making a little bit of money and then start developing um, my coaching practice. Um, and then after that, it just exploded. Um, and it looks, it looks like um, that I just grew my business fast when really what happened is, is it was really gradual for six years and then suddenly for 24 months. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then I find myself in the business I'm in which is accomplishing the things that I wanted to accomplish. Um, it's fun, it's fulfilling, and I'm a contractor. I'm a 1099 with Dell Carnegie, um, and so I don't technically have a boss. It's my business is in uh, partnership with mm -hmm. their business. Um, and so I was able to accomplish that over a, took a decade. Overnight success. Yeah, yeah. 10 year overnight success. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Do, have, you, have you given much thought? Do you, do you know why, or what are your thoughts on, I feel like there's a lack of that sort of mindset these mm -hmm. days, that not everybody's willing to do that grunt work for whatever it takes for a few years behind the scenes yeah. and really make themselves, add so much value to whatever they're doing that they either need to be promoted or somebody else is going to steal them away. Yeah. There's more of this overnight success mentality, sure. this fast pace on Instagram that everything happens. Sure. You know, nobody wants to work hard for it. Am I, am I off base on this or do you think that that's, a, that's common out there right now? I mean, I think, it's, I think it's certainly common and rightfully so. I mean, I grew up in a world that where before Instagram existed. I grew up in a world before Facebook or I mean, really before the internet for all intents and purposes. Right. You grew up in that same world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's a whole generation of young people that didn't. Mm -hmm. So if the only information you get is that you can be an overnight success, you can get, you know, make a fortune just for showing up, then why wouldn't you believe it? Like, yeah. I would want to believe that. Yeah. But I had the privilege of seeing my, you know, depression baby grandfather um, work his face off. And I knew what it looked like to make tons of money and yeah. be really b successful financially in business. I watched my, you know, I watched my dad sweat his behind off delivering furniture and my mom like sell her butt off it. And then, and then when the, when the doors close, get in the office and do the work, you know, like, so for me, that's what I saw. That's what I was conditioned with, right. but there's a whole generation that's being conditioned a different way. Okay. So I think people give them a hard time for it, but it's really not their fault right. because they're just living in the conditions that they're being told. So if I, I would, I believe that if I grew up in a similar circumstance, I'd probably believe the same thing. Yeah. You know, I was also fortunate to, to always have a certain level of success and a certain level of failure at the same time growing up, right? Being That's a important. terrible student, my teachers told me that I was garbage. Being a great athlete, my, my coaches told me I was the best of all, the greatest of all time, right? And so having that sort of dichotomy 
allowed me to never take any, either one so serious. So I never became like depressed to the level of some kids that grow up with people telling them they're garbage. But I also never became so arrogant of the kids that are grow up giving trophies for, you know, going to the bathroom by themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's interesting to look back and see how all these dots connected for you along the way. Yeah. Like it all seems to have led you exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah. How do you, what do you, what do, what sort of mindset do you take then when you are talking with your, your kids? You have, you have a younger one, but you have uh -huh. an older one too. Yeah. That's not seeing you with the hard work, so to speak. How do you, how do you make sure that, or, or do you, like what's your parenting philosophy on what you want your kids to see? My, my basic 30,000 foot parenting philosophy is really simple. It's, it goes like this. I'm gonna do the best I can with the tools I have and when my kids are 21, I'm gonna apologize. <laughs> like, like that's it, you know? I mean, That's damn good. It's, it's what my parents did. It's mm -hmm. what their parents did. I mean, I think it's what every loving, caring, caring parent does yeah. is they do the best they can with what they have and their kids can look back at that and go, man, you screwed up here, 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 and here. And I think the, the variable is having a parent that's willing to go, God, you're right, I I'm sorry you had that experience. I wish I had been better for you. Damn, that's you know, good. I, I find that I apologize to my kids. Uh, I mean, I've got a one-year-old son that I'm apologizing. He has no idea, <laughs> but it's not about him understanding as much as it's about me having the practice and, the, and the, the empathy and the humility to just go, man, what happened yesterday or what happened at dinner or what happened last night or what happened, you know, in that moment when I lost my cool or I snapped at you or um, I don't know, whatever it was, I wish I would have done better. I couldn't agree more. And I don't have it figured out by any means, but I do know that as I've thought about my parents, the when my relationship got really good with them, and we've had some complicated parts of our relationship um, mainly because we're all so entrepreneurial, decided, sort of hard-headed people. Um, we're all sort of have our own sort of vision and we go after it. So we kind of bump heads sure. a little bit. Um, the more I've understood about my parents' journey and seen them as people and seen them as flawed people, the more empathy I've been able to have and understanding. Um, and so that's the, empathy and understanding is what I try to drive in my children more than anything else. Um, and just being gentle with them, man. Like... It was, it was last summer, my wife and I are on a walk and um, my daughter's on her scooter, so she was seven at the time, she's on her scooter up in front of us. And just off a whim, out of nowhere, I said to my wife, I said, I really wish she would fall off that scooter. Like I really had a vision, like I hope my seven-year-old, sweet, my perfect little seven-year-old daughter takes a tumble and like bumps her elbow and scratches her knee. And my wife's like mortified. She's like, what are you doing, yeah. dude? Like what kind of yeah, father going with this? says <laughs> this? But my thought was like, man, I had all of this stuff to deal with as a kid, like having a non-traditional childhood, being at work at right. five years old, having all of these learning disabilities, having all of this trouble getting through, getting through uh, elementary, middle school, high school, I had all of these things to, that, that taught me grit and perseverance and, um, and all of these other taught me how to be creative and make winning situations when you know when when the when the rules weren't in my favor to figure out a different game to play yeah, right all yeah. of this stuff and my kids are i mean my daughter's super smart she's cute she's tall she's athletic like she has everything going for her and i'm like man it'd be great for her to just have something mm -hmm. that was hard you know i get it um i get it 
and and also I don't want her to fall off her scooter sure. and I want her life to be perfect yeah um, but I also believe it's my responsibility to shepherd her through any and every possible emotional situation before she leaves my care because if she's gonna have her heart broken and she is at some point I want it to happen when when I can sit on the sofa and hold her, not her sophomore year in college, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and the same with my son, you know, like my philosophy is to, is to be the man that I would want my daughter to marry and be the, and, and simultaneously be my man I want my son to become, yeah. you know? And the more I do that with hum humility and say, um, yes, and I'm sorry <laughs> that I'm messing these things up, I, that's the best I know how to do it. I think that's great, and I'm, you said it way better than I could ever say it, but I have those exact same similar thoughts, and there's times where I struggle between, I, I had a bumpy childhood as well, and there's a lot of things that I dealt with that made me who I am today, and mm -hmm. I'm super grateful for yeah. it, but in the time was so painful and so yeah. terrible yeah. that you, you at times don't want your kids to feel that, but you yeah. want them to benefit from the outcome of what it actually can lead to. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And so it's finding how do you incorporate both of those. Right. Yeah. And right. So I struggle with that as well, but I love the way you just said it. Yeah. Um, with your business now, so you are still the in the Dale Carnegie coaching program, right? What does that entail? What's that look like? What's what's a what's a day to day look like for you? It's the most fun and the most challenging work I've ever done. Um, my job is to create environments so that people can have conversations with themselves. Um, many coaches rely on their research, their study, their experience, other clients to give advice. Um, I have learned that people don't take advice well. They execute normally on their, on their ideas, but on my ideas, they have to run it through this like filter. Yeah. Um, and so I stopped giving ideas along, uh, ideas and, uh, advice a long time ago and have learned that um, there's really there's really two ways um, one way um, and this happens this happens often uh, maybe just as often as the other but one way is through this idea of transference and so transfer the idea of transference is that because I am a Dale Carnegie coach because I'm up in front of the up in front of the group I'm speaking in front of their company or their organization sure. or whatever um, because I have a TEDx talk or because I was a college athlete, whatever it is, people just assume I, I've i got like my shit together, yep. right? Which um, they they have to assume that to give, to for me to be credible enough for them to sit down and listen to it, right? Sure. And so the, the game through the process is to allow them to have that belief that I've got it all together and then slowly expose that I don't. And while slowly exposing that they have exactly what they thought I had, mm. right? So it's transferring that, that guru mentality where they think it's me, but over through the course of our process, I reveal to them that it's not me, it's actually them. That's great. Um, and that takes time, Yeah. right? And so um, that, is, that one is really fun because when I start a program and people are asking me questions that honestly, like, I have a guess, but I don't have enough context about who they are, what they're about, where they're skilled, what their life experience is, what, what's going on in their world to be able to really, like, truthfully give them a good contextualized answer. Um, 
all the way from that, them thinking I have the answer to at the end, them going, I don't need to ever talk to you again. You know, like I get to work myself out of a job where for my graduates and the people that I've worked with only call me for one of three reasons. Either um, because of a huge success, like, hey, I just want to let you know I've got this promotion or I started this business or we just set this record or whatever. So it's, it's a big success. It's a big catastrophe. They've gone through some sort of a trauma. They just found out they're getting a divorce or their business imploded or some, they, had a lo- they suffered some sort of meaningful loss where they call me to have a conversation um, or uh, they call me to refer me. And when those things are happening, that means that I'm doing my work. Yeah. Right. And that transference is really happening because it's not me being a great coach as much as it's me helping them to become someone who can self-coach. Um, and that's that's really the that's really the sort of the game of transference. Why do you think, in your experience, why people don't believe early on, or earlier on, or understand earlier on that that they have it within them? What is it that leads people to? Why do people need a coach? Uh, I, I believe. Let me first say, yeah. I believe in coaching. I believe everybody yeah. has to have a coach in yeah. probably about twelve different areas of their life. For sure. But but what leads them to that? Um, man, I think it's a lot of stuff. And I mean, one one the reason I have a coach. Well, there's a myriad of reasons I have a coach too. One specifically is our um, our creativity always works faster than our rational mind, right? So. Okay. If you, if you think about, um, and it's almost like being too close. It's like you can't see the forest for the trees sort yeah. of a thing. And so when we're so close to something, it's hard to, it's hard to be able to really step back and zoom out on your own without having someone there that can ask some questions that, that isn't emotionally involved in that mm-hmm. situation. Um, and so one of the big reasons I think everyone needs a coach is just that. Like, we do this all the time. So when I say our creativity works faster than our rational mind, our rational mind is logical, but we're not logical beings. We're emotional beings. And so what happens is, you know, our morning's going fine. We're on our way to a meeting and then traffic gets backed up. And here's what our creativity does. Our creativity goes, oh my gosh, I'm in traffic. I'm going to be late for my meeting. If I'm late for the meeting, I'm not going to get this piece of business. If I don't get the piece of business, then I'm going to maybe lose. I'm not going to meet my number. If I don't meet my number, I'm going to lose my job. If I lose my job, I'm going to lose my house. If I lose my house, my significant other is going to leave me. If they leave me, then I'll never see my kids again. If I never see my kids again, I'll probably lose my health. Then I'll lose my, right? All so they go traffic. through this thing, yep. right? And, and if they would just sit for 14 seconds, traffic's going to ease up. They're going to make their friggin' meeting 90% of the time, right? But our creativity is so much faster than our rationality. And so one benefit to a good coach is someone that can just simply go, do you know that this to be absolutely true? You go, well, I think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so what evidence do we have? And as in the, in the words of Brian Katie, is, is a great coach helps people to love what is and then to be able to work with that. Yeah. Instead of getting in our creativity, which causes fear and stress and anxiety, and then it causes us to have less emotional equity, less um, willpower, we make worse decisions, and then all of a sudden we're eating poorly, we're not, we're not uh, treating our bodies well, we're not treating our relationships well, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right. and we end up getting what we were so afraid of because we're draining ourselves and we don't have someone there to just hold space for us for a half hour, mm-hmm. right? Um, I also think everyone should be in therapy, <laughs> not just coaching. Yeah, I um, agree. 
So that's one of the reasons. The, the other reason is, in general, I think sometimes as parents are doing the best they can, parents don't often do a really good job of helping people, helping their children understand, number one, their true identity, um, because they can't, because parents can only parent through their lens, that's right. not through the child's lens. Um, and I think um, parents can tend to try to protect their kids to the point where it breaks their kids' their ability to see their own potential. Um, you know, it's like don't try that because I don't want them to fail. Like, don't don't go for the lead part in the play. You probably won't get it right. Go for like you know, be a tree or, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. whatever it is, yeah. right? And so a, a kid isn't taught how to deal with failure, and then they're only they're only congratulated on success. They're not applauded when they try something hard and, and, and miss the mark, right? Well, we also don't encourage failure, right? We're, yeah. we're awarding just participation. Yeah, yeah. And then other things are just like societal norms that happen for, for kids. Like um, for me, I grew up in a culture where um, there was, I grew up in a uh, like a traditional, fundamental Christian Southern uh, culture. Uh, and the, the, the concept that I was taught is that every person is born evil with a sin nature. Wow, okay. Um, and so if you're born and the, the, the essence of who you are is bad, how can you ever be consistently good, right? And that's a struggle. That's a struggle for a lot of people, like how they see themselves at the most basic, what's the essence of who they are. Um, if you see yourself as innately bad or innately sinful, it's going to be really hard for you to reach your true potential. True. Um, but if you see yourself as someone who's unique, who's, um, who's, who's, um, who's innately good, if you see yourself as a good person that does bad things instead of a bad person that sometimes good does, ba does bad things, uh, or does good things, that's a completely different starting point, totally. which c creates a completely different trajectory in your life. That's right. Um, and so for some people, it's helping them square um, what they were taught as a kid, either on purpose or by happenstance or by experience, um, and what's really going on. Um, and having someone that can hold space for a half hour, an hour on a regular basis, or to, to take them through an experience with a group and see that innate greatness in other people, it's easier to recognize it in yourself. That's a great answer. What about the therapy piece? I think it's I think it's rare for men to talk openly about yeah. therapy. I wish it wasn't. Yeah. But I think it is. Yeah. Um, and you 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 seem pretty open and you met and you think everybody should see a therapist. Yeah. Um, have you always thought that way? No, no, man. I was I was taught that therapy is for people that are emotionally weak, like therapies for girls. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Same thing. I get it. Um, which, so when did that change, or what did you do? Um, it changed when I realized there were things about me that happened subconsciously that I couldn't control. How did you learn that? Um, when I decided to get out of the business, um, there were just. Like, I mean, I've dealt with a certain amount of like depression, anxiety through my entire child. And some of that was that, 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 that dichotomy of you're the greatest, no, you're the worst. And like, that can be quite confusing. Oh, yeah. Very if a coach is telling you you're the best and a teacher is telling you you're going to end up in prison, like, how do you deal with that as a 10 year old, right. for, for instance? Um, and there are just some other things that I knew happened with me that was traumatic. And I accepted that they happened, but I couldn't necessarily like, I knew that somehow they were impacting my decisions, but I didn't really know how. 
right? And I didn't know how to like get to the root of it. And it was stuff that would always bubble up. Like, and it's as easy as like my, uh, the way that I engaged in conflict early in my marriage. My, my, uh, my way of engaging was just to completely shut down. Temperature goes up in the room. I shut down. I'm quiet. I'll just, you'll talk to me. I'll just stare at you mm. until you give up. Mm. I didn't know why. I just thought, well, I'm uncomfortable. I don't like being in these things. I don't like conflict. But the truth was, is it was a manipulation tactic so that I would frustrate my wife to the point where she would throw her hands up. But guess what? We're not arguing about this anymore, and I kind of won. I totally <laughs> right? can relate to that. Yeah, and yeah. so what I had to learn was, number one, I had no freaking idea why I did that. I just knew it sucked. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted to have, I mean, hell, I was learning about how to have more healthy conversations. I could give you good advice about how to do it, but then uh, a disagreement happens with me and my wife, and I'm, I'm toast, man. Like, and then it's, it's just emotional manipulation. Yeah. And so uh, there's and there's other things, and then so through therapy, I had I had an opportunity to really go back and discover like I had some sexual trauma as a kid. Um, I was molested as a young kid, and how that impacts a, a child at you know at the age of five. Yeah. How does that impact you as a man at twenty something? Yeah. Right when I'm when I'm starting this journey, and it's um, it's one of those things that just like coaching, you're so close to it and it's so deep in there, um, you can't dig it out yourself. Mm -hmm. And you really need someone there that can hold space and ask questions and, and really shepherd you or usher you through that experience um, so that number one, you can bring it up, number two, that you can deal with it and then it's a safe environment that has, that has some strong boundaries around it um, from a professional, you know? Did you... Did the therapy uncover the trauma or did you know of the trauma? No, I knew of the trauma. Okay. Yeah, I, I just, and I, I mean, you know, there's some people that experience trauma that don't have memory of yeah. it. And it. It has to be brought out for the memories to come back. Right, that's what um, I was thinking. That, that wasn't my experience. I, for, that I know of, yeah. I was aware of every trauma that I, that I faced. Even, even the small little micro stuff that, that got deep down in there that, I mean, it can be something as big as sexual trauma or abuse or something like that, but it can also, trauma also comes from small things like that one thing that other kid said to you in third grade. For some people, it just like, like just brushes off, but for other people, like somehow for kids, it can get really deep in yeah, there. I can relate to that. And without being, in, so the difference between massive traumas, those are usually pretty easy, right? Because it's like, okay, I know what happened to me as a five-year-old wasn't okay. I wasn't safe. It wasn't my fault. So now I know as an adult, this is something that I must deal with. It's going to be hard, but I know I got to deal with it. There are other people that don't experience these massive things. So they're harder to identify and they have these series of like, I don't know what I would call maybe like micro traumas. Mm -hmm. And there's so many of them. It's like death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. So what's, what's harder, like to go to the hospital and go, hey, I've been shot, look right here in my arm, there's this huge hole, well, we can deal with that. But if you go in and say, hey, I've got 400 little wounds, well, that's harder to treat. Right. <laughs> that takes more time, that's right? right? Um, and so it's understanding that it doesn't have to be something that's huge that requires therapy. You know, we've all gone through things that have impacted us positively and negatively, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Um, and so having a professional that can walk you through, even if it's 
and therapy can be expensive, oh, yeah. you know? Um, I've spent more than my fair share. I'm still spending um, more than my fair share uh, on therapy. And there's sometimes that I'm doing great that I'll go, okay, I think I'm cool maybe for a month or two, um, but I always know I'm going back. You know, I'm like the addict that just knows. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I know that at some point I'm going to have like a wash of depression and I'm not going to know where it comes from. So I'm going to have to re-engage my therapist. Uh, and, you know, I've had that relationship with therapy for a really long time. Yeah. How do you, do you, like, if, if someone comes to you and says, you know, they hear this today and they think they want to talk to somebody, how, how does somebody get started that hasn't before? Like, where would you encourage them to, to find somebody to talk to, find the right fit for them? Yeah, I, and I, well, I think the first thing is really understanding the difference in terms of your need. Do you need a, do you need a coach or do you need a therapist? Okay. Right, so I'm not a therapist. Right. I'm, not a tra I'm not trained to be a therapist. I have no, like, no credibility or credential to, to do therapy. Um, what I can do is I can help people have a conversation with themselves. Sometimes that ends up being a conversation to the action step is therapy. Um, the action step is really getting a better feel and understand an understanding. For me personally, I, I use a service called BetterHelp um, that I like a lot. It's BetterHelp.com. Um, I'm not connected. I'm a, I'm a user. I'm not a connected to them yeah, in any sure. way. Um, <laughs> But I like them because uh, they do a bit of an assessment on the front end, um, and it's video and phone, um, so it's easy for me. My, my schedule can be quite hectic, um, and so it's really easy for me to jump on a call once a week and, or do a video chat once a week. Um, and they're really, they get really granular in terms of understanding who you are, what you're looking for. There's a difference between you know, different types of therapy. You know, some people need like real psychologists, some people like clinical psychologists, some people need people with more of a background in, um, in the, the, the religion that they grew up in, either to use that as a lens or to, to help usher them away from some of that worldview. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I like their process, but there's a thousand. I mean, the most important thing is finding someone that you'd vibe with. Mm -hmm. you know? It's no different than like a, a first date or a, or a meeting between someone you've just met. You know, do you vibe or not? Yeah. Are you comfortable or not? And if you're not, find a different one. Like there's no, I don't know that there's a right answer as much as it is. Like in my life, I've probably had, God, I've probably had 10 therapists, okay. you know, because, and there's also time of life, you know, like there was a time in my life that I really needed like a clinical psychologist to help me walk through stuff. And then there was another time that I needed someone that had a background in fundamentalism, for example, that when I was working through that stuff and then I needed to find someone. So some of it is just awareness. Okay. And sometimes it's coaching that can help you have the awareness for therapy. Um, and I want to be careful not to make it like everyone needs a coach, a therapy, a therapist, a pastor, priest, and an imam. You know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. like that's not what I'm, what I'm saying. But some of it is just understanding at least the orientation and the direction you want to go. Um, you don't have to know where you want to end up, just the direction you want to go, and then figuring out what is the next practical step that will get me there. Yeah. I think, not to oversimplify this, but I think the bottom line is people need to have people to talk to. For sure. And I think we often, I don't know, I don't know where it happens because I can't think back to my childhood and never remember a time where someone told me that therapy's for girls or boys don't cry, or maybe I can remember that part. It's implied though. Yeah, but it's implied. It's yeah. implied everywhere. Yeah. We see yeah, yeah, it everywhere. Yeah, for sure. And so I think that a couple things I have going for me, if you will, <laughs> is that I married a therapist. That so helps. my wife's a former mental health therapist. Does she charge you? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> we all pay somehow. <laughs> okay. okay, that's fair. Um, but she has, uh, she opened my mind to that whole thing. Yeah. And it never that I was like consciously like, I will never go to a therapist before her. Right. But once I saw what it was, 
like and that yeah. it was okay and that yeah. it's really really good yeah um, my whole perspective shifted 100%. and I also am really aware with how I definitely talk to both of my kids and hopefully not continuing some of those stereotypes or some of those those things that you know when my son falls down and cries I don't pick him up and say you're okay you're okay I ask right. him are you okay right you know it's just little things like that yeah. to try and hopefully I don't want to say prevent, but to hopefully give him another uh, view, yeah. another perspective. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've talked about religion a couple times, and I know you've had a podcast that talked about that. Yeah. Talk to me about the role religion is in your life now, coming from the background you had. Is it same, different? What, what? Uh, it's very different. <laughs> um, I grew up in a very fundamentalist um, way of seeing the world, um, which looking back on it now, I really appreciate it. Um, it's not currently how I see the world. It's not, it's not how I raise my kids to see the world. What it did do for me though, that I don't think it gets enough credit for, for people that leave it, um, which seems to be more than sometimes stays, especially kids that grew up in it, um, is that it gave me some containers in how to see the world. Um, we can't, we, it's my belief that you can't understand the abstract, abstract until you understand like the particular. And until you have a lens to see, you can't adjust the lens. So you gotta have a starting point. Sure. So it gave me a really concrete starting point for like, for example, like who do we believe is God? How did we get here? What are we here for? What is our relationship like with God? How does that relate to other people? And so growing up in that really fundamentalist thing, one of the things that they did well and still do well is man they take care of each other and they do give money to help people you know and there's some things they don't do well like you know threatening conscious eternal damnation on kids that you know disobey you know what right. I mean? for yeah. instance and the trauma some of the traumas that that causes and you know how teach teaching things that sort of imply that god is kind of like a like a like an angry old man waiting for you to do something wrong so you know, he can punish you, yeah. or or just that God is implicitly a man, yeah. Um, yeah. and that has only male traits, yeah. and that is a, is a judge, a judgmental, overloving, and stuff like that. Um, so my view of who God is has dramatically changed, and I would say I still identify as a Christian, um, but I will also say that non Christians have brought me closer to my faith uh, in my adult life than many. Than Christians have, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's meeting people that as a kid I was taught that are wrong, sinful, bound for hell, right? And then hanging out and developing friendships with people that are from different ways of seeing the world that are, you know, uh, agnostic or atheist or Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or you know, or, you know, l not married but living with their significant other or are gay or whatever it is, right? And really getting to know people and going, oh, they're not that terrible. They're awesome. Like, they're better. Like, they're more empathetic and more loving. And we think about, like, what the Bible teaches about the fruits of the Spirit. Like, I'm seeing the fruit mm -hmm. of the Spirit. Like, I'm seeing God in these people that I was taught God hates. They're more Christian. Right? They're, yeah. And it's like, you know, I've, I've, I've irritated a, a couple of my Baptist friends by saying things like, man, Jesus was more of a Buddhist than he was a Baptist. You know, when you really read what he taught, what Jesus taught through the Gospels, 
Jesus is very, and you know, Jesus created an Eastern religion, right? It's not a Western religion, but as it's been Westernized and colonized and, and uh, empire has sort of shifted and shaken what Christianity has been to people, um, it has been a tool for some not good stuff, mm -hmm. right? And, it, and it, there is some room for criticism and there is some room for interrogating the reality of yeah. what, what this thing is. Um, but for me, it's also a, a powerful example of that, you know, nothing is good or bad, you know, and I, and I, this is one thing I teach, I'm, I, I constantly am trying to teach my kids is this, that there's, in my opinion, there's no such thing as good or bad people. There's just joyful people and miserable people. Yeah. You know, when we're joyful, we're pretty good people. Yeah. When we're miserable, we're pretty bad people. And that applies to anyone. That's right. And I mean, if you look at the research that's done on, for instance, crime, crime is based on place as much as it's based on people, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when you put people in a particular circumstance, in a particular area, um, in a particular struggle, they're more likely to commit crimes. It doesn't make a difference whether they're Christian, Muslim, black or white, or, or gay or straight, male or female. When people are miserable, they're more likely statistically to do miserable things. Yeah. When they're joyful, they're more likely to do joyful things. And it ends up being that easy. And that drives a level of empathy to go, oh, that's not personal. They're miserable right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I teach my kids that a lot, or at least my daughter who's six. We talk a lot about, you know, she's in first grade and <clears throat> she's, you know, things happen in first grade. Kids say things, kids do things, you get left out. Um, people say mean things and I constantly say, and it's so basic and cheesy, but I'm talking to a six-year-old, is that hurting people hurt people. Of course. Say it over and over and so I, I constantly try to help her understand that it's not her. Yeah. You know, and she can, she can decide how she reacts, yeah. but more than ever needs to show compassion mm -hmm. and empathy yeah. and actually be there for somebody that's, you know, sometimes maybe not saying the nicest thing to you because right. we don't know what they're going on, even right. when they're six. Right, right. Our, our, our language for that is uh, haters gonna hate. <laughs> yeah. same, same principle. I like that right? better. Same principle. I like that um, better. But that's, that's really the, that's really the, 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 the game, I mm -hmm. think, for parents is to teach them that nothing's personal. Everything that, that is pointed toward us is is just a manifestation of that person. Yeah, exactly. If you were to take yourself out of that situation and replace yourself with someone that is just sort of like you, that other person is going to treat the next person the same. Yeah. Right. So it's not an isolated incident most of the time. Yeah. The the thing that the thing that I think is important for us as parents to teach, especially our um, our young our younger children, is number one how to manage that in a kind way while still having boundaries. Oh, they hit me because they're miserable. That doesn't mean they get to hit me again. Right. Right. <laughs> right. That gives me some awareness. Now I have to take action. Exactly. It doesn't mean we hit them back. Right. But we we remove ourselves, or we defend ourselves, or we get help. Right. It doesn't mean that we end up being floor mats. Right. It's That's not right. not everything's a kuna matata. Right. We have we have to teach them not only to have awareness, but also to be able to set effective um, effective boundaries that protect them physically, emotionally, spiritually. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So with um, your business, you've done some podcasts before. Having this conversation is is super exciting for me just because I can I I am learning a lot from you. This is more of a coaching session for me just by the way. So you know excited that people are listening yeah. and watching, but this is coaching for me that yeah. you didn't know you were gonna do. But um, you know, talk to me a little bit about what you've done to grow your business. I know you've had some podcasts. Um, I know you've 
stop some podcasts. I love your philosophy on life and uh, what brings you joy and what also you know creates the most impact. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about about your journey with growing your business, how podcasts played into that, why they maybe aren't right now, and what your vision is for the next five or ten years with your business. Yeah. Um, in terms of long-term vision, I have none. Um, I, I hope to con- to continue the same path of um, I don't want anyone to have, be able to tell me what to do. <laughs> I want to do things that are fulfilling and impactful. Okay. Um, and that's my that's one of my things that I do every single year is I, gra- I take a piece of paper, I draw a line draw a line down the middle. On one side, I write a list of everything that I'm doing um, currently that is fulfilling that I enjoy doing. And then I write a list of all the things that I'm doing that are impactful, that are making a difference, moving the needle in some area. Um, and then the things that are in both categories get to stay. Mm. And the things that are only in one category have to go. Wow. Uh, and so it's a, it's a constant uh, pruning process that goes, if it's not fulfilling and impactful, it's not worth doing consistently. It could be worth doing for a month because if it's fulfilling, cool, I should do that some. If it's, if it's impactful, but it's not fulfilling, I should do that some. But if it's not both, it doesn't get to live there. Wow. It, it, it is a, uh, it's just a test. And that's why I'm, it's so easy for me to start a podcast and throw it away. You know, I started the, um, the I Am Not Your Pastor podcast yeah. to, to do really two things. Talk, talk about spiritual exploration uh, and, and while maintaining uh, intellectual integrity. And I did that. And I think I put out, I don't know, 20 episodes, maybe 25 episodes. And it was fulfilling. And the impact wasn't having the same impact as my coaching was. Like nobody ever came up to me and went like, hey, that podcast, that, that's changed my life. My marriage has gotten better. I got a promotion because I applied something. Like people would come up to me and go, that's really, I like that podcast. That was interesting. It made me think about this. But it didn't change anybody's life. And it wasn't really intended to. I was scratching an itch. Yeah. So it was cool that people liked it, and I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed people telling me it's, they like it and stuff. Um, but the truth is, is it wasn't part of my strategy to make money. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to pay my mortgage with yeah. it. Uh, it was just fun. Um, so where do you spend your time? What what is, what can be joyful but maybe not impactful? Are you still playing ball, or what do you do? Where do you where do you get fulfillment that maybe isn't related and also impacting others? Because um, Seems like those two have to link up right now. Is that right, or is that fair? Yeah, not all the time though. So um, podcasting for me is fulfilling. Okay, it's not impactful. Um, Are you still doing it? Nope. Okay, killed it. So what are you um, doing? Where, where's the joy coming? From? I have I have moved right now. I'm in a very uh, specific area of impact because I just did this in November. Yeah. So I'm on, primarily right now. I'm only doing fulfilling, impactful that's stuff. That's your focus. That's it. That's it. Uh, an example of something that's fulfilling that I don't know of whether it's impactful is this conversation. Yeah. Right. This is fulfilling. This yeah. is super fun for me. Well, you're impacting I, me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So right. you're doing both. And we'll see. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. somebody, I mean, maybe somebody listens to this conversation and gets something that's mind altering oh, or life changing. Maybe. Maybe. I think so. Maybe. And if it does, then that gives reason to continue to do it. Like, mm-hmm. let's do version two. Let's Absolutely. do it again in six months. Right. And that's awesome. Um, so if people the, are getting something out of this, we need to know. So yeah, we need to know. Yeah. So for this, it's it's fulfilling. Whether it's impactful or not is up in the air. Right. Right. And so that informs how many of these I do when other people might reach out. That's right. To go, hey, can we do a can we do a podcast together? And 
the answer is normally, well, maybe. It mm -hmm. de depends. But right now, I'm focusing 100% on things that are impactful and fulfilling. So things like I'm doing more coaching now than I've done before. I'm in the classroom teaching more than I ever have before. Uh, I'm taking less keynote gigs because they're really fulfilling, not as impactful. I can have more impact with in, in 90 minutes with one person than I have if you give me an hour with 500 people um, just because of the depth that I can get with people. Mm -hmm. So I'm focusing more there. I'm focusing more on self-reflection and journaling than I am creating content through blogs because it has more, as much fulfillment and more impact for me and my ability to be clear-minded and grow and develop myself. So my business since November has... Um, is continuing, continuing to tick up, and I think it's because primarily of that practice of continuously pr pruning and being okay with going, like, this is fulfilling, this isn't as, as impactful as this other thing, so I'm going to double down on this thing, I'm going to kill that thing. And, and it's like pruning a rose bush. Mm -hmm. Like, just because it's, it has a leaf on it and it makes the thing look fuller doesn't mean it's good for the, the, the life of the plant, right? Great point. So sometimes it needs to go. And the truth is, like, bro, if I want a podcast, I'll just start another podcast. Like, I've still got all the art. I'll just republish it. There you go. You know? Um, and I so find, I find your, your level of self awareness very inspiring. Mm, like, I find you. it um, maybe unique, at least unique in the circles I've run in in the past. Yeah. Have you, do you feel like you've always been able to do this? Or is this through what you've learned as a coach and through your bringing up and the yeah. coaches you've worked with? Is yeah. A, a, lot of it, a lot of it is stuff I've learned as a coach. And then a lot of it is being so... When I'm bad at something, man, I'm bad at it. Like, I would rather, like, sell my house and move to another house than, like, change a light bulb. Like, I am so <laughs> not handy. Like, light bulb goes out. It's like, this house is going to take too much, go. baby. We got we to yeah, get out. out of here, right? Um, and so there's a ton of things that I'm bad at. And school was always one of those things. And when you're a kid, school is all consuming. So one of the things that I figured out early was if I could change the game to my advantage and only play games that I'm good at, then I always win. Mm. And so I was an athlete, so I doubled down on that. It's like, man, if I can just get, if I can just do well enough in class, show up just enough to check the box, then I can play basketball. That's all I wanted to do. Um, the same with the same with um, with business. I was an incredible salesperson. I was a, I was terrible at details and administration. So it's not. I just mitigated my weakness. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I've been really laser focused in is really understanding what I'm what I'm the best at and what I'm terrible at. And I only do the things I'm great at, and then do minimal viable product for the things I'm terrible at, or delegate them or hire them out. Like those are got. Perfect example, our, uh, on our bathtub in, the, in our master bathroom, uh, the, the, there was a, like a leak in the thing. When you turn it off, it still like drips. Okay. And so I called the plumber the next morning and I was like, hey man, I need somebody to come out and fix this. And he goes, oh, it's just a so-and-so, whatever it is. And he was like, it should be pretty easy. Like it'll probably cost you like 175, 200 bucks for us to come out. You could change it really quick. I'll send you pictures of what you need to buy at Lowe's. And if you want, you can call me and I'll just walk you through it. And my answer was, nah, bro. <laughs> like, no, I no. appreciate that. Like, I've seen this movie you. before. I'm not trying to, like, this $200 fix 
could turn into a $20,000 problem yeah. when I crack that thing and then the water and yeah. then it floods my house and I don't know how to turn the water off in my house because I can barely change the freaking light bulb. Yeah. So no, dude, get your guy out here and I'll give him 200 bucks. Mm -hmm. like, and so it's just knowing that I'm better off spending 200 bucks on that and going and making money doing something else today that mitigates that weakness and being comfortable with that. Yeah. Like, I'm just not good at most things. Yeah. So I'm just gonna do more of the stuff I'm good at. I wonder what prevents a lot of people from doing that. Maybe it's like wanting to be in control, having a, a, a perfectionist mindset that thinks they need to do all of it, which just really a perfectionist mindset is just fear, I think. But, because I coach real estate agents. Yeah. One of the things I coach real estate agents on is there inevitably comes a point in their business if they're doing the right things, if they're in the right system, if they're the right person, where they get to a point where they have a very hard time growing without giving up some control. Because the, yeah. the number yeah, yeah. one thing real estate agents should be doing to grow their business is lead generation, lead conversion. They should yes. be building relationships and working with people. But there's so much other stuff that comes in real estate. And so there comes a point where I'm coaching them when they get to this point and say, okay, now's the time that we need to start delegating some of these other things because the majority of your attention needs to be spent on your unique ability. The one thing that you right. do better than anybody else, which is why you're in this business. And I think a lot of times people try to improve their weaknesses mm -hmm. more than developing their strengths yeah. or focusing on their strengths. Yeah. Is that something you come across in 100%, coaching? Yeah. 100%. I think another, another thing that, that really messes people up is they try to choose to be confident. Oh. And it's not possible. You can't just choose confidence. Tell me more about that. So confidence isn't, some, isn't a decision. Confidence is an outcome. So it's, it's like this. I can be as confident as I want to be about my basketball ability. But if you put me in a LA Lakers jersey and put me in the middle of the floor, all that confidence goes away when it's contextualized and I have to perform at a high level. Yes. I have no confidence all of a sudden. I can be as confident as I want. That's not confidence, that's arrogance. You can choose arrogance, but arrogance doesn't get, the, get a result, right? Arrogance um, gives life an opportunity to punch you in the mouth. That's it. And so confidence isn't something you can choose. Confidence is something that has to be earned. So what most people haven't done is the scary work of earning the right to be confident in any particular area, hmm. right? So they spend their time being lackluster or they spend their time being busy and they never develop confidence. They just develop this thing that they think is confidence because they're choosing to be confident. I want to get so right. So they do it through how they dress or how they look or the things they say, but then they're never, that's where you get people that know a lot about a thing, but can't deliver it practically and in, in a, in a, in a, in a real world scenario. So how do you feel about the saying, fake it till you make it? It's stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's, a dumb it's absolutely it. stupid. Yeah. It's, the, it's one of the dumbest pieces of advice I've, I've ever I heard. I would agree. It's, it's, um, it's be humble until you earn the right. Hmm. It's not fake it till you make it. Um, fake it till you make it is, is a loser's way to get ahead. It's, it's, it, it fosters inauthenticity. It fosters a lack of, in, in, a lack of integrity. Yeah, well, someone um, with your work ethic would be really go against everything you believe in to for give, sure. give fake it till you make it any sort of time or credibility. For sure, yeah. for sure. And so when I, when I think about how do you, so the question becomes, so how do you earn the right to be confident? That would be it. This is what people, I believe, in my experience, people lack. Uh, the way that you earn the right to be confident is through courage. So courage is a decision you can make. And then being strategic on how you, how you apply courage to certain situations to test things. Because 
there's different ways to apply courage, right? I could apply courage by jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. That would take courage, but it wouldn't get me anything favorable. It would just kill me, That's right? right? So there's courage to the point of trauma or death, right? That's not what we're looking for. But the question is, is how can I do something that's a bit uncomfortable, that takes me out of my comfort zone, that takes a little bit of courage to take the first step to try something and then observe object as objectively as we can be as humans and then observe what happens around me right it's a, it takes courage for me specifically um, i said that my my sort of go-to in conflict was to shut down well it took a tremendous amount of courage when that feeling came to go okay i know this is going to happen because i've talked about it with with a therapist and a coach i know this is coming i know this feeling i'm aware of this feeling now i have to have the courage to make a new choice so instead of shutting down, I stand up, I walk over to my wife, I give her a hug, and I say, I really wanna talk about this. This is hard for me to talk about, Yeah. right? That is courage that gives me the ability to earn the right to be confident about my ability to be in conflict with someone I care about, mm -hmm. right? I can't just decide, well, I'm just gonna start talking more. That's not how it works. I have to have the confidence to take the first step. And then once I've done that, then I have the confidence that, oh, I can knock myself out of that feeling or that, that being stuck. So now I can go a step further. So then I can do that until I earn the right to be confident to say, I don't ever shut down in conflict. I can always engage. Wow, that is just powerful. Choosing courage. You can choose courage at any moment. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. that but, is... but that doesn't mean that you, you have to be careful with your courage and be strategic because courage also causes you to walk up and punch the biggest dude in the bar. Done that too. Right? <laughs> right? right. That's courage. Didn't work out so that's well. That's stupid courage. Yeah. So it's, it's what, what sort of courage can you demonstrate today that's not a, that's a non that could result in a non-fatal error? Yes. Because we want to index on things that, that I'm going to fail at more then I succeed. I want to. I want to practice to the point of failure, right? It's, it's what we did. Our ball handling drills in college. We used to have a coach that said, "If you're not failing, you're not getting better." And so he would say, "Practice to the point of failure." So when we were doing our ball handling drills, he wanted to see balls go off into the fourth row. Wow, he wanted coach. to see us dribble it off our foot, because if we didn't, and we were just dribbling inside of our skill, well, we don't. We're not earning any right to become more confident with the basketball. Yeah, it's the same with life. That's a smart coaching move right there because I don't think I ever had anybody focus on the mistakes in a yeah. positive way coming up in the sports I was playing. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, I, I want to be mindful of our time and um, a couple things before we wrap up. Um, what is, um, let's see here, how do I say this? Um, well, one, before I get into this, let me backtrack for a second. Where can people connect with you? Where can they find you if they, if they just want to follow along with what you've got going on on social media or if they're interested in coaching, want to connect and see if it's the right fit? How do people get a hold of you or where do they connect? Um, social media, I'm most active on Instagram, Doug Stewart 919 um, same, same handle on LinkedIn, Facebook, all of those, so wherever people are comfortable. Okay. Um, and then if you, I'll give you my email. You can just link that in the bio okay. or the description. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm an open book, man. Perfect. Do you, are you accepting clients? How does that work? Um, I'm accepting the right clients. Accepting the right clients. Smart. Yeah. 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 Smart. So it's fun um, to be in a position where you can choose it is. who you work it, with. It's, it's, it's a it's a it's a unique um, it's a unique thing for sure, um, and it goes back to is this work going to be fulfilling? You know, is it going to be impactful? Aware. Yep, yeah. you get it. I mean, I think it's 
I think it is unique, but I, I don't want to get off on this, but I don't think that it should be. I think everybody should take time to really, feel, they don't, you don't need to work with everybody. Some people are better fits than others right. in, in any business. When I coach real estate agents, you don't need to take every single client. Yeah. There are some people that you should not work with. You yeah. don't work well together. Yeah. And the, the only the only caveat to that is unless rent is due in three right. days. Well, then, right? Then so, yeah. so in the beginning, it depends on where you Fair are. Enough. In the beginning, you take every customer that'll hand you a dollar, right? For any price, 100%. And then you work yourself to the point where, and this is fortunately where, where I am, is that Man, I, I turn down as much business as I take. Um, not that not that like I'm too good to work with people, but a lot of the times, it's the transference thing. Yeah. If I can't, if I don't feel as though uh, I can have that moment of transference with a client where they will leave my care, knowing that their their innate greatness will drive their success, and re- recognizing, oh, I just thought Doug had it all together. He's actually just as much of a mess as I am, <laughs> right? And if I can't do that, maybe they need maybe they need therapy. Maybe they need a different coach. Maybe they don't need a coach at all. Maybe they, like I had this conversation yesterday with a with a prospect that called me out of the blue, and he said, "Hey, I, I'm trying to develop a sales uh, a, a sales program, a sales strategy for this organization that I've just been hired for." And it turns out he doesn't need me. It's a matter of courage and confidence. Mm-hmm. He needs to he needs to earn, he needs to earn the right that he can do it because he has all the credential. There's he doesn't need to pay me. And so I just said, hey man, look, let's just have like a two hour lunch. I'll just give you as much as I can in two hours and the, and the odds are you're not gonna need to hire me or anybody else. Like, because you already have everything you that. need, yeah. right? Um, there's not a lot of coaches that can do that, that don't have a base of business where they're, they need to sell this, they need to sell the next thing so that they're, yeah. you know. You know, because those dang kids, man, they're so they're they they're needy. They're so needy. They need, you know, my you know my daughter asks for breakfast every morning. What? Like it's crazy. Too. I know it's crazy. And my, so my needs dinner and lunch also. Can you believe that? <laughs> well, it depends on the how nerve. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And you know, they want to sleep inside and you know do the whole thing. Oh wait, you're sleeping inside? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's 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 just sort of understanding where you are and what value you can yeah. bring and. Um, and, and going with it, this it's a fun business, man. Cool, I love it, I love yeah. it. I can't wait to learn more, so hopefully we can have another conversation. Sure. Final question, Yes. okay? And I butcher my delivery on this every time, cool. so give me some patience. Cool, I appreciate that. Um, the title of my podcast is Build It Better, mm-hmm. okay? So Build It Better is, to me, building a better life, self-improvement. Mm-hmm. We kind of touched about this, touched on this in the beginning. Um, I believe, you know, the saying that how tall will a tree grow? as tall as it can. Mm-hmm. I believe humans don't always live up to their potential. I wasn't living up to my potential. Yeah. So through this past year or so, I've been really interested in learning what other people do to reach their potential, to build it better, to, to grow personally, grow professionally. So my question to you, and it's probably a slam dunk to use basketball terms <laughs> or toss you a softball right. here, like what are you doing in the terms of improvement in the personal and professional development um, what does build it better mean to you what's your take on it I'll give you the short and the long version the short version is and this is the advice that I would give anyone including the past version of myself is simply this double down on your strengths forgive yourself for your weakness if you can master that then you can get really freaking close to your potential. Damn, that's good. Um, what I do specifically is 
um, I, I always assume that there's a different angle and there's a different perspective. And so every situation is like a beach ball, right? You're on one side of the beach ball, it's red, on this side is blue, on that side is yellow, on that side is purple. And so having the empathy to go, hey, I, I'm only seeing my perspective. And the most important thing, I don't need to think about my perspective so much, I can get to it lightning speed. What I have to do is be humble and empathetic enough to ask people that see the world differently than me, that believe different, that maybe have a different political, religious persuasion, that grew up in different places, uh, with different ideals, be willing to ask them, how do you feel about this? How do you see this? How do you read that? And then listen without engaging, mm. right? Without trying to convince them or even tell them what I think because it doesn't matter. And the more, the, the better my skill of, of going around the beach ball of an idea or a situation or a circumstance, I find the more empathy, the more humility, um, the more growth that I get, and the more ability I get to get closer to objectivity, which true objectivity doesn't exist, right? We're always subjective to, oh, a, to a certain degree. I agree. Um, and then getting quiet enough to be as aware as I can possibly be about what's really going on. Not getting stuck in the creativity over rational mind trap. So some of that involves things like meditating, journaling, um, having a spiritual practice, getting around people like yourself, Sharif, Freddie, you know, those characters oh, yeah. from Raleigh Raw um, that, um, that, are, that are walking the same path, um, and just listening, listening more than I talk, um, and not listening to compare it to what I believe, but listening to understand, mm -hmm. not to respond, is, is maybe the greatest, um, the greatest skill that I'm continuing to develop. I don't know that I, I, don't, I won't ever perfect it, um, but man, when it comes to developing, um, I have learned, and I'm doing this right now, is I'm focusing on learning less, and doing more, um, meaning, and anybody who listens to this, anyone that I ever coach, it's always true that if we would just stop learning, stop learning, you don't need to learn anything else, you have enough, just master what you already know, what you already believe, just start doing it consistently, and you'll improve. Yeah. That's it, right? Application's the key. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's church, man. Yeah. Like, Stop trying to be a better Christian. Learn more stuff about the Bible. Stop reading it for a minute. Just do the friggin' things that you say you believe, and you'll accomplish 90% of what you want to accomplish. And so I've stopped bringing in a ton of information for the last year or so and really focused on applying what I already know to be, to be the right things to do. Um, and it takes a lot of pressure off. Mm -hmm. uh, my mind is clearer, more empty. <laughs> I have space in my mind to really consider different perspectives and appreciate those perspectives. And that helps me see some blind spots and go, oh, I don't really believe that. I inherited that, right? I don't really believe that. That was just that That's one right. thing that happened that made me think about that, that issue or that people group in a certain way. Like, that's not friggin' true. Mm -hmm. I just, that was a jerk. It wasn't a whole group of, you know, people or types of people or types of industry. like. And so that's the really long answer. The short answer is just, man, like double down on your strengths, forgive yourself for your weakness, do what you know, already know, and you can get an awful long way, like just with that. No doubt. Yeah.
Well, I'm super grateful you gave me the opportunity to listen more than I talk because uh, I got a lot out of this. So for sure, man, appreciate it. It's it a pleasure. Time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's right. a pleasure. Thank Thanks you so much. Yeah. 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 All right. Thanks. This podcast is becoming so much more than a fun little hobby or self-help project. I literally love having conversations like this, and I feel like I'm getting a freaking master's degree in personal and professional development from all these amazing people, Doug included. I want to know your takeaways. You get to hear mine all the time. Are you out there? Are you still listening? Are you up for sharing them? If so, post your thoughts or a quote from this episode that stuck with you on social and tag me at Chuck Belden and hashtag build it better podcast in your post so we can see what you took away from this episode. But for now, as I wait for your thoughts and I am waiting, here are some of mine. Takeaway number one, there's a difference between being good at something and having passion for it. Doing something just because you're good at it without the passion is a recipe for disaster. Number two, do the things most others won't do. Do the grunt work. Take the entry-level position and then work your face off with the mindset of recruit me or promote me because I'm not staying here. And number three, do the best you can with what you have and apologize when you fuck it up. I think that's enough said. That was a great episode and super easy to talk with Doug. Uh, There were a ton of learning moments in that chat and so much to take away. But those were the few that really stuck with me. As I often say, but I didn't come up with, don't let your learning lead to knowledge. Let it lead to action. So to help you in your action and to apply off this brain food you all just got right here, I want to suggest one action step for you. Choose one of your takeaways, just one, and do something right this very moment to put it into action. Just one, but do it now. This episode was freaking awesome, and I can't wait to bring you the next one. I've got some super fantastic guests lined up that you don't want to miss. But for now, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please do so. And I'd love to hear what you think about it by asking you to rate it and review it. My goal is to deliver crazy amounts of value and your feedback will help me in my mission. So until next time, let's commit to getting just a little bit better and getting into action. Talk soon.